Well, greetings in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Today, I'm excited to teach on this exciting topic on fighting the good fight of faith. I believe today that God will bless you richly and that your heart will be transformed and changed through the power of God's word. This is a very important word, especially in the time in which we are living. It's for believers, it's for the church to awake out of the slumber, out of the sleep, and also for the church to prioritize our lives to what is important and what is not important. I believe the Apostle Paul, when he writes this, this letter to Timothy, which is one of his final letters before he is martyred, it's a very, very encouraging letter to encourage the church, even in the time in which we are living. And so today my prayer is that through this message, your heart will be stirred to make sure that we live for God until our very last, that we give our everything, that we continue in this race and finish our cause. And so today we're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to start from verse 5 to verse 8. When we look at the book of 2 Timothy, Paul writes this letter around AD 67, just before he was martyred under Nero during his second Roman imprisonment. Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, which is his beloved son in the faith, who was encountering false teachings during this time. Timothy was possibly in Macedonia at this time when Paul wrote this specific letter to him. Paul went through two or three imprisonments and Paul's first imprisonment that we read about in Acts chapter 8, he was accused of heresy. He was held under, in a hired house, which means friends could come and see him and they could um, fellowship with him, etc. At this point, he expected um, to be acquitted of, his, of, of whatever they accused him of. And he had several friends. But in Paul's second imprisonment, which is the time he writes this letter to Timothy, which is before his martyrdom. He is accused of a crime held in prison. He is expected to, he is expecting to die. And at this point, he only has a few friends left. Many has forsaken him. Many has even forsaken the faith at this time. And we read about this in Second Timothy. We read about guys like Demas, who chose the world over God. And we find this very common in the church today when hardships and difficulties come people tend to neglect or forsake god instead of holding on through this message we're going to understand today the importance of fighting the good fight of faith the first thing we look at today or the purpose of this letter why it was written was paul desired to express his concern that timothy persevere in sound doctrine as he faced false teachers. He wished also to emphasize the importance of the word of God in the ministry of Christ. And Paul also needed his cloak and his study material and his writing and he wanted Timothy to bring it to him. Paul also expressed his desire for fellowship when he was facing this last imprisonment and facing this loneliness as a person. The theme of 2 Timothy is about steadfastness in Christ. And Paul teaches a lot about, or speaks to Timothy a lot about the word of God, preaching the word of God, guarding the word of God, etc. 
etc we are really i'm really excited to share this with you because paul is such an interesting character and um, when he writes all these powerful pastoral letters and epistles we find so much truth so much things that can help us even in the season in which we are living the world and the church is facing a lot of heresy false doctrine a lot of um, feel-good messages and we find that people, as, as Paul would write to Timothy, you know, people as drawn preachers that they like, they have chosen specific preachers that they listen to because these preachers do not touch on issues of sin and do not touch on issues of, of, of real issues. These people are only preaching uh, myths and fantasies. As the, as the Message Bible says, you know, these people present like a mirage to people and it looks like, it looks like something solid, something valuable. But in the end, many people's faith is shipwrecked because people believe in heresy, believe in false teachings, and they give their lives to these things. And after a while, it does not work or it doesn't yield the desired results. And um, it all goes under the category that God does not work or God is not working for these people. And so when we look at Paul, we see that um, Paul here begins to help Timothy a lot in this particular letter. And I'm so excited because... You know, it encouraged me over it, it. It has been a few months that I've been looking into this particular text and it's really been encouraging to me to how Paul lived his life after reading so much of Paul's letters and how Paul preached and how Paul held on to the truth. And now Paul is about to depart. And so Paul has a message for Timothy. He's about to hand on the baton and he wants Timothy to continue running the race. So many a times through the word of God, we found how the baton has been handed over. We find it in, we find it at the time with Moses and Joshua. We find it with Elijah and Elisha. And we see this transition of ministry and the impact it had as the baton was passed down. And so Paul now encourages Timothy and he's saying to Timothy, you know, Timothy, as we continue, as we read here in the word of God in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter chapter 4 and we're going to read from verse 5 but you be sober in all things and your hardships do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry so he's encouraging timothy saying to timothy amen but he says to timothy be ye sober in all things in all things keep a sober keep a straight head and your your hardships timothy as you're going to hold on to sound doctrine preach the word of god in truth you're going to face a lot of persecution People that are standing for righteousness and truth face much persecution. False prophets, the persecution that they are going through, I wouldn't actually call it persecution. I call it people suffer because they are doing wrong. You know, sometimes people would say that some people are going through through to persecution because they are doing what is right. But um, I've seen in our own nation how many false prophets and people has risen up and these people suffered persecution. But it wasn't because of what they did was right. These people were labeled for money laundering, uh, manipulating people, charging for prophecies. It, it, it was a crazy, it has been a crazy journey in our very own nation of South Africa. And I believe around the world, these things take place all over the world. And there's a fight always for the faith. And in chapter four, Paul is also encouraging Timothy to preach the word of God. And we see here, he says, you know, you will endure hardships, Timothy. But do the work on ev of an evangelist, win souls, go out and win souls, tell people about Jesus. And that is what God is encouraging the church, especially in this time where people are becoming hopeless and without hope 
we need to preach Jesus Christ like never before. And then he says, fulfill your ministry. Complete that to which God has called you to do and complete this. And then Paul now says, as he passes down the baton, for I've already been poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight of faith. I have finished the cause. I have kept the faith. In the future days laid up for me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So God will reward. He will reward people. Hallelujah. Or award people on that day. And the Bible says, not only me, Paul is saying to Timothy, you know, God is not only going to award me the crown of righteousness, but to all people who love his appearing. So let's pray over the word. Father, we pray today that you bless your word. Today, Father, we're going to learn about how to fight the good fight of faith. I pray that as far as this message can reach, that it will encourage people to press on, to hold on, to fight the good fight of faith and to never quit. I pray that hearts will be open to this word and people's lives will be transformed through the message of Jesus Christ. I thank you for this, Lord, in Jesus' mighty and majestic name. Amen and amen. I find it amazing whenever I read the letters of Paul, whenever he's faced hardships and difficulties, how Paul was steadfast in the Lord. And Corrie ten Boom, an evangelist, wrote this. If you look at the world, you will be distressed. If you look within, you will be depressed. But if you look at God, you will be at rest. Knowing that he has faithfully carried out the work of God that was entrusted to him, Paul now faces execution with confidence. And he looks beyond death to the full enjoyment of the salvation that will be experienced by all those who love Jesus and who has the love of Jesus as the controlling force in their lives. We're going to look at three things that Paul focuses on in these three verses. Paul starts and he looks around. Paul looks around. Paul looks back and Paul looks with ahead. That is the three things that we're going to focus on during this teaching. It's amazing that how people on their dying bed, how men and women are usually stripped of their hypocrisy and how they now reflect accurately on their true beliefs and feelings. We're going to look at three people, three famous people, three popular people in the eyes of the world. The Bible says, what, what does it benefit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? And we look at this. On his deathbed, Napoleon said, I die before my time and my body will be given back to earth to become the food of worms. Such is the fate which so soon awaits the great Napoleon. Look at that hopelessness in his, on his deathbed. Then there was Gandhi. Gandhi wrote this before he died, not long before he died. The world-renowned Hindu religious leader confessed, my days are numbered. I am not likely to live very long, perhaps a year or a little more. For the first time in 50 years, I find myself in the sloth of despondency. All about me is darkness and I'm praying for the light. There was another 19th century French statesman. Talleyrand wrote the following words on a piece of paper and laid it on, the, on his nightstand near his bed. Behold, 83 years passed away. What cares? What agitation? What anxieties? We're looking at this. Look at look at this letter. 
what anxieties, what ill will, what sad complications, and all without results, except great fatigue of mind and body, a profound sentiment of discouragement with regard to the future, and of disquiet with regard to the past. Look at these three people. These were popular people. These were famous people. These were possibly well-known people in their generation. But on their deathbed, they now faced the, 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 the they now faced reality. It's either heaven or hell. And many of them knew they did not live for God. And so their souls were depressed at their, on their dying bed. But when we begin to look at Paul in these next three verses, I pray this will be the heart of every believer the day is facing that moment we will pass on to eternity. In this past two years, we have experienced a COVID crisis. Many great men of God has passed on to be with the Lord. And I know many of them. I heard one testimony of one man of God that said, hallelujah, he said, even if God does not heal me, yet God is still the healer. That was his last message to his wife. He passed on to be with the Lord. That is the faith that this man held even on his dead bed. God does not change. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when we look at verse 6, Paul looked around him. I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Now Max Licardo said this, not only is death inevitable, but death is necessary for us to inherit the new life we enjoy in Christ. It's important that we're going to live and we are going to die because that through death, we will experience this new life or this new world and enter into God's kingdom where we will be with God forever and forever. So Paul now comes to a time where he realizes that time is really short. Now he was in, on, on trial in Rome and had been through the first hearing already. And he wrote this in 2 Timothy 4, 4 verse 17. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was rescued out of the mouth of the lion. And that's what he wrote. So God delivered him. God kept him. But Paul knew in this point now that the end was coming. However, he did not tremble at this moment. Paul was expectant. Paul was, he wasn't fearful. He wasn't downcast. He wasn't discouraged. We even remember when we read the book of, of, of Philippians, how Paul said to the people, you know, don't cry. Don't be heavy hearted because you're going to make me sad because I'm not sad. You know, Paul was always expectant to meet his maker and that was always his heart. And that's why he uses these two words that we find in this particular text. And we're going to just break up these two words quickly. And we're going to look at the word offered and departed in 2 Timothy 4, 6. Now there was a story of a man whose name was Bradford. It was said that when the keeper's wife said to him, Oh, sir, I am come with heavy tidings. You are to be burnt tomorrow. Take off. He took off his hat, laying it upon the ground, and kneeling and raising his hands and said, Lord, I thank thee for this hour, or for this honor. This is what I have been waiting for and longing for. That is so powerful. He was ready to meet his maker, ready to die, ready to be with his God. And all the martyrs that have suffered in of the apostles and, and across um, martyrdom, when you read 
Um, I think it's Fox Books of Martyrs. When you read it, how many of them died, how people were, they were, some of them were so excited to die that when they were fed to the lions, they would even fight so they could go first to be fed, to be eaten by the lions. That was amazing to me. That is something that really stirs my heart. This is people that have real revelation about resurrection life. Hallelujah. Resurrection after death. They were really, really expectant. The world was truly dead to these people. My God. So Paul uses a terminology and a word called, he says, "My, I've been offered up. I've been offered up and poured out like a drink offering. This is what Paul says, right? I've been offered up. I just want to just want to read it in the proper context. I've already been poured out as a drink offering. That was his word that he said. So offered up means to be poured out on the altar as a drink offering. Uses the same words when he spoke about Jesus in the book of Philippians. When he speaks about Jesus, he says he emptied himself, taking the form of a bond serving and being made in the likeness of man. So we see this. He says that Jesus Christ emptied himself. So Paul is also saying, you know, Caesar is not going to kill me. I'm going to give my life as a sacrifice to Jesus. I've been, I've been a living sacrifice, serving him since the day I got saved. Now my, now my time is complete. So my sacrifice is being laid down my life for him. So I'm being poured out now as this drink offering. And this drink offering is a figure that was used in the Old Testament or a type used in the, or a picture that Paul used from the Old Testament in the book of Numbers chapter 15 verse 1 to 10. And this is how people brought a burnt offering which was an animal that was prescribed by the law. Which type of animal was to be brought as a burnt offering? They brought a grain offering and also they brought a drink offering. Amen. They brought a drink offering. And we see this um, terminology used in the book of Numbers chapter 15. So while writing to Timothy, Paul already was being poured out as a drink offering. His final offering to the Lord who had sacrificed himself for the apostle and now for all in ages to come. So he so he offered himself, as I said earlier on, he offered himself unto the Lord as a living and holy sacrifice. Because that was what was acceptable to God, according to Romans 12 verse 1. So while he was alive, he lived his life. He offered himself to the Lord even in his death. So he lived his life as a living sacrifice and he offered himself in his, at the end unto the Lord in his death. So speaking of his death as a drink offering could also be referred to the type of execution he was to expect. Because Roman citizens could not be crucified. So he knew that he would likely be beheaded and literally pouring out his blood for the Lord. Five years earlier, he wrote to the Philippians church, Philippians 2 verse 17. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and your service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. Look at this expectation of Paul, man. It's so exciting how Paul had this mindset. Father, give the church this mindset because we are going into perilous time, body of Christ. We are going into hard and difficult times and we need to have our mindsets right. We need to have our hearts right. We need to have ourselves prepared. We need to have this type of attitude. We need to have this. You know, listen to Paul's words in Philippians 2.17. I rejoice and share my joy with you all. It was a rejoicing. And early in chapter one, he said, you know, don't cry for me. You're making me sad. You know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be offered up and I don't want you to cry. I don't want you to, 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 to be sorrowful because there's a joy in my heart. 
there's a joy mind and we will see how Paul breaks this open when we look at the word departure. So the cloud of death was now hovering over Paul's life. But this dark cloud of death um, did not hold any danger or risk for him. It's like Peter in 2 Peter 1 verse 14. Peter simply viewed death like this. I'm laying aside my earthly dwelling. I'm laying aside my earthly dwelling. And Peter was expecting to take up his glorified body. Hallelujah. John had the same mindset. You know, I mean, John was not martyr. John died because of old age. But John still said, you know, John said, we don't know what we're going to be like, but we're going to be like him. And that is the expectation we should have as the body of Christ. Hallelujah. So Paul was saying, you know, I'm going to be moved from this demanding and painful life on earth to the infinite glorious presence of our Lord where there is peace and rest and I will be with him forever and ever. Now Paul uses another word. He says, he uses the word departure. He uses the word, my. he says, the time of my departure has come. When we look at William Barclay, he explains this so wonderful. When we look at the vivid pictures that he painted for us through this explanation, what this particular word could have meant and what Paul could have seen when he used this terminology. The first thing we look at, it is the word for unyoking an animal from the shafts of the cart or the plow. Death to Paul was rest from toil. He would be glad to lay the burden down, my God. So death for Paul was rest from toil. He would be glad to lay the burden down. The second thing, it is a word for loosening bonds or fetters. So death for Paul was liberation and a release. He was to exchange the confines of his Roman prison for the glorious liberty of the courts of heaven. The third thing, it is the word for loosening the ropes of a tent. For Paul, it was time to strike camp again, and many a journey he had made across the roads of Asia Minor and Europe. Now you are setting out on his last and his greatest journey. He was taking the road that led to God. The fourth interpretation that some that 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 that, that William Barclay saw was this. It is the word for loosening the mooring ropes of a ship. Many a times Paul had sailed the Mediterranean and had felt the ship leave the harbor for the deep waters. Now he is to launch out into the greatest deep of all. He is setting sail to cross the waters of death to arrive in the haven of eternity. My God, isn't that awesome? Definitions of this one word, the picture that he saw, the picture that Paul could have had. I'm praying today that this is the picture that we have. We are setting sail to uh, from one harbor to the next harbor and from one earthly harbor to heavenly destination. Glory be to God. For Christians, death should be the exchange of the earthly burden for the eternal joy of heaven. Therefore, Paul said in, in the book of Philippians 1 verse 21, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul did not die like Napoleon or Gandhi or Talleyrand or any other person. No matter how successful and acclaimed they were, they did not know Christ. The apostle faced his departure with no feeling of uselessness or hopelessness or despair, but with the divine assurance that his real life was only about to begin. Just as he had faced earthly living without fear, he faced earthly dying without fear. A writer wrote this once, why mourn we then for those who cross the intervening river? Although to us a heavy loss, to them is a joy forever. So Paul now looked around him and this is the pictures that Paul had. 
in in second timothy 4 6. in second timothy 4 7 paul now looks back he looks back and this is what he said i have fought the good fight i have finished the course and i've kept the faith when paul looks at this now paul is reflecting on his life and service since the day he got saved it was a life in which he breathed every breath and lived every moment in the service of the lord a life which no sacrifice was too great and no commitment to demanding paul now uses imagery that people were familiar with he says like a determined wrestler or boxer he had fought a good fight and like a runner he had finished his lifelong race victoriously he kept the rules and he deserved a prize therefore in philippians 3 verse 13 and 14 paul said brethren i do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet but one thing i do forgetting what lies behind reaching forward to what lies ahead i press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of god in christ jesus he's looking back remember now he's looking back when you read philippians chapter 3 you know paul is now speaking about in the beginning of philippians chapter 3 his old life all the benefits all the privileges he had as a jew and now he has laid down all of that counted it as rubbish and now he's living for jesus and he only has one purpose and to pursue jesus christ then he says i have fought a good fight the christian life often represents conflict warfare and we see this in 1 Timothy 6 verse 12, that noble conflict with sin, the world and the flesh and the devil, Paul now says he had been able to maintain. So he says, I fight the good fight of faith. I take hold of eternal life to which you, you were called and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So he says, fight the good fight, Timothy. Fight the good fight of faith. Come on, child of God, do not quit. Do not give up fight the fight you might be going through a marital struggle you might be going through a business struggle you might be going through a financial struggle you might be going through a spiritual struggle you might be going through rejection and persecution and all the onslaughts of darkness you might be wrestling against demonic powers because paul said we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities powers and rulers of darkness it was all that paul was fighting during his walk he was fighting against false teachers false prophets false apostles people that thought they were somebody when they were nobody but paul kept fighting Paul didn't allow people that were doing nothing to discourage him. Paul didn't allow people that were spectators to discourage him. Paul kept fighting. Paul kept doing what God called him to do. Theodore Roosevelt said this when he had this verse in mind. He said, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbled or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes short again and again because there's no effort without error, no shortcoming, who does actually try to do the deed, who knows the great enthusiasm, the great devotion, and spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. Far greater is it to dare mighty things, to win glorious triumphs, even though checked by failure, than to rank with those poor spirits who neither enjoy nor suffer much because they live in a great twilight that knows neither victory nor defeat. Paul uses a second terminology in verse, in verse 7. He says, I finished the course. 
I finished my race. The word cause here in the Greek means dromos, which literally refers to the running of a race and metaphorically it was used to fulfilling a lifetime career occupation or military service. So during his sermon in the synagogue at Antioch of Pisidia, Paul spoke of John the Baptist saying, and while John was completing the course, dromos, which is the same word he used there, he kept saying, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he, but the old one is coming after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. So when Paul using the same word to describe his own calling, the apostle now some years later when he writes to the elders from in Ephesians, he writes this, I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself. In order that I may finish my cause, my cause, dronos, there's a cause, there is a cause, there is a cause we need to finish. Come on church, come on believer. There is a cause we need to finish. We need to finish the cause to which God has called us. We need to complete the ministry. We need to fulfill our purpose. Do not give up, child of God. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of grace. So this was his cause. The ministry he received from the Lord Jesus and to testify solemnly about the gospel of his grace. So Paul did not, his life did not matter as long as he fulfilled that which God has called him to do. So when Paul was talking about running the race, running the race, keeping the faith, Paul then now has something that points to another type of, of picture that I just want us to look at because when we're running a race we need to get rid of any hindrances and we find this in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 and 2 so the writer of Hebrews warns us of the two major hindrances that relentlessly threatens to distract or deflect believers from the God-given cause therefore he writes in Hebrews 12 verse 1 Therefore, since we have so great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, he says, let us lay hold or lay aside, sorry, every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So because the writer is distinguishing two things here in this particular verse, he uses encumbrance and he uses sin. And so we're first going to look what is encumbrance. So encumbrance, synonyms of encumbrance is weight, burden. And so it's different from sin. They are definitely not the same thing. Encumbrance, encumbrance is something that is not in itself evil. Normally it's hard, it's harmless. Or even worthwhile. The danger and harm comes when such thing hinders our service for the Lord. They weigh us down as we are running. They distract our attention when we should be concentrating. They move our focus from the, from the Lord's work to something else. And they sap energy that should be dedicated entirely to us. Sometimes we fill our programs with so many things that is not God. Sometimes we are doing things that are unnecessary. Sometimes we're supposed to be spending time studying the word of God, praying, doing certain things. And we find our lives so busy with things that are unimportant. There are things that is in our schedule that we need to let go of. There are things that encompass our lives, weights that is not for our purpose and destiny. We need to find out what is the important things that we are living for and what we are putting in our lives so that we can live our lives for Jesus Christ wholeheartedly. Hallelujah. We need to live our lives wholeheartedly. We need to find anything that is unnecessary, 
that is that allows that we allow in our lives that becomes a spiritual encumbrance and paul calls these things in first corinthians 3 verse 12 he calls them hood hay or straw they are not bad but they have they have a limited value and that is what paul was talking about the second thing he mentions here is sin sin does not merely deflect us from god's work but often robs us of headway already gained. If the sin unusually is, 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 is serious, the Lord himself may pull us from the race because our testimony and effectiveness has been tarnished. The great apostle was very much aware of the, of, of, of the potential of sin to his ministry and therefore he was always alert. Therefore, Paul used this, this terminology in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 6, 26 and 27. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I buffet my body and make it my slave, lest possibly after I have preached to others, I myself become a disqualified. And so that's how Paul saw him running in this race, that he would commit himself to such a point that he will not become an embarrassment to the gospel or that he will not come short to the message that he's preaching. God, help us today. Help us as ministers. Help us as believers. Help us as your children, Father, that we do not tarnish our testimony because of sin that we have allowed into our lives. Hallelujah. And so the right of Hebrews now encourages people how people are going to overcome sin and how they're going to overcome these encumbrances. They need to fix their eyes on Jesus, the author and the finish of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That is the answer. That is the solution. Hallelujah. We thank God for that. The third thing Paul spoke about in this particular verse was, was when Paul said, in verse 7, he said, I have kept the faith. Now, we're going to look into the word here where it speaks about keeping the faith. Hallelujah. It is heartening to be able to look back and have no regrets. And Paul had definitely no regrets when he, when he looked back. He, you know, he, it's heartening for a believer to look back and have no regrets in one's life. Paul was not always popular, nor was he usually comfortable. But Paul remained faithful. That is what really counted faithfulness the world and the church perception of viewpoint of success is completely different and we need to have god's viewpoint of success god's viewpoint of success is faithfulness faithfulness and bearing fruit now you might say that is success but there are many people who has gone down the road of success but they have not been faithful God is looking for faithful people. In 1904, William Borden, a member of the Borden Dairy family, finished high school in Chicago and was given a world cruise as a graduation present. Particularly while traveling through the Near East and Far East, he became heavily burdened for the loss. After returning home, he spent seven years at Princeton University, the first four in undergraduate work and the last three in seminary. While in school, he penned these words in the back of his Bible, no reserves. Although his family pleaded with him to take control of the business, which was foundering, he insisted that God's call to the mission field had priority. After disposing his wealth, he added no retreat after no reserves. On his way to China to witness to Muslims Day, he contracted a cerebral meningitis in Egypt and died within a month. After his death, someone looking through his Bible discovered these final words, no regrets. He knew that the Lord does not require success, only faithfulness. He did not reach his journey. 
that he was faithful to the cause that he that he purposed in his heart and i believe that this young man hallelujah william borden would have a great reward one day in heaven when we look at the word he has kept the faith keeping the faith in the greek word here is terio which carries the the various or different meanings of watching over heeding or preserving jesus used the verb three times in his high priestly prayer he said heavenly father ask his father to keep them his people in thy name the name which thou hast given me that they may be one even as we are remembering that while i was with them i was keeping them in thy name which thou hast given me and guarded them and not given them or not one of them has perished can you see he uses this terminology of keeping 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 and this is the same word that has been used there kept hallelujah i kept the faith so a few verses few verses later in John chapter 17, verse 11 to 12, he asked that the Father would keep them from the evil one. Same verse, keep, keep. The word keep here also has the, has the imagery of a steward who faithfully guarded his boss's deposit box. So here he is praying this word, keep them. You know, faithfully guard them, faithfully protect them. Therefore, the Bible says when we are in the hands of the Lord, nobody can snatch us out. When we look at different verses in the Bible concerning this particular word, there's another verse that comes up in the book of Jude. So Jude speaks about believers as those who are called beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Kept. We are precious magician. We are kept for the things of the Lord. On our part, keeping the faith involves being diligent, to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace and keeping ourselves free from sin. So we also have a responsibility to be diligent to preserve in the unity of the spirit and in the bond of peace and keeping ourselves free from sin. These are very important words. And this is words that Paul also gave to Timothy. You know, Paul was also asking Timothy when we look into 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy 1 verse 14 let's look at this quickly paul says god through the holy spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been trusted to you see there's also a keeping from our side so so timothy kept you know he said keep the faith keep the faith keep the faith he said here to timothy you know encourages timothy you know i have kept the faith he said i have kept it now he's saying the responsibility is also shifted to the believer to guard and to keep and protect and jesus also prayed that god the father would protect us and keep us Come on, we are precious. And he said, you know, Timothy, this that you have, God, it's precious. Whereas believers have something that is of real value, treasures in earthen vessels. Hallelujah. So regardless of any obstacles or cost, we are to preserve and proclaim the immeasurable treasure of the word of the Lord. When we look at a beautiful story of a young French girl who had been born blind, after she learned to read by touch, a friend gave her a braille copy of Mark's gospel. She read it so much that her fingers became calloused and insensitive. In an effort to regain her feeling, she cut the skin from the ends of her fingers. Tragically, however, her calluses were replaced by permanent and even more insensitive scars. She sobbingly gave the book a goodbye kiss saying, Farewell, sweet word of my heavenly father. And in doing so, she discovered that her lips were even more sensitive than her fingers had been. She spent the rest of her life reading her treasured, her treasured, the treasured word of God with her lips. Hallelujah. Would that not be a great desire for each and every one of us to have that exact appetite for the word of God? 
to keep our faith, to guard our faith as a treasure box. Come on, Paul guarded his faith. His faith was important to him. This faith of Paul meant so much to him. He kept the faith. Nothing could move Paul. Nothing could change Paul's focus or mind. Paul had, you know, he guarded this. And I, my belief is, or my prayer, not my belief, my prayer for every child of God is that we need to keep the faith, children of God. We are facing perilous times. We are facing hard times. Any time compromise is so, so, so easy for us just to compromise. So for us to let go or to slip because we seek popularity or because we seek fame or because we seek people that's going to be, that's going to accept us. I thank God, you know, when I entered into the missions field, it just came to a point in my life where God had to remove me from my, 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 my place of birth to another city. I'm living from Johannesburg to Cape Town. 1,400 miles or kilometers, sorry, can do such, can make such a great difference. Because since I've been in Cape Town, I've been focused on my assignment. I've been focused on what God wants me to do. And that has taken away so many distractions. And I thank God. It's like Moses that was in the outback in the wilderness. And then he discovered Moses. Hallelujah. When God took everything out of him of Egypt. And at that time, God called Moses. I believe I'm standing at that point in my life. Hallelujah where God had to take everything of Johannesburg out of me and put me into the place in which he has called me. Such great times I'm living in right now. But I also believe that now I have something that I need to guard and something that is very, very precious unto me. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. I want us to remember this. I want us to, to know that we need to that we need to keep the faith. We need to keep the faith. Hallelujah. Listen to what Paul writes to, to says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1 verse 18. Timothy, my child, I entrust you with this command in keeping with the previous prophecies about you so that by them you may fight the good fight through prophecy, through the word that has been over your life. Fight the good fight, Timothy. Come on. Come on, son. Do not give up. Do not give up. Like listen to 2 Timothy 3.10. You are ever, you however have observed my teachings, my conduct, my purpose, and my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. So he's encouraging Timothy. You see how I've kept it. You've seen how I've made it. You have you have journeyed with me, Timothy. That's why it's always good to have good role models into the kingdom. Sometimes we, we go for these people of stardom and fame and fortune, but then we miss these guys that have that has gone through the mold and we've gone through the hardship. Now I'm not saying these guys that are big today. We have some big preachers in the world, and when you listen to their testimonies and see where they come from, wow, you amazed what God has done for them and where they are today. But I also believe that not many of them has kept the faith. Not many of us has yelled on to the authentic word of God. Some has compromised to get to the top. Some has done evil things to get to the top. And now God is calling us in this generation to keep the faith. Come on church, let's keep the faith for God. Hallelujah. The last thing Paul did was he looked ahead, which each and every one of us must do. When he said my departure, when he had this vision in his mind, he's untying the rope of the boat from the harbor and he's setting sail to his new destination. So Paul was looking ahead. Let's read Second Timothy 4 verse 8. In the future days laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me in that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing also to all who has loved his appearing. Now, usually a Roman, a Roman or a Greek athlete who was a winner was awarded by, was rewarded by the crowds and usually got a laurel wreath or garland of oak leaves. The word for crown here is the word Stephanos, the victor's crown. We get our name there, Stephen, 
The name Stephen comes from the word Stephanos, which means victor's crown. Hallelujah. So we look at this now and we and we understand how Paul visioned this whole thing. How Paul would not be given a fading crown of leaves, but he would be given a crown of righteousness that would not fade. And he would receive this crown from the righteous judge who always judges correctly. Now Paul has had his fair share of unfair judgments. But Paul was looking forward to the righteous judge that would reward him handsomely for what he has been through and what he has made through on this earth. Hallelujah. So he knew now that he was looking forward to the righteous judge. Remember, Jesus came as Savior. The book of John 3.17 says he did not come to condemn. But there is a day he's coming back as the judge. He came the first time as Savior. The next time he's coming as a judge as we close and as we conclude, how many times Paul had been tried in court after another, yet now he faced his last judge. This is his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When we are ready to face the Lord, we need not fear the judgment of man. The crown of righteousness is God's reward for a faithful and righteous life. And our incentive for faithfulness and holiness is the promise of the Lord's appearing. Because Paul loved his appearing and looked for it, he lived righteously and served faithfully. Lived righteously and he served faithfully. We need to live righteously and serve faithfully as we are waiting on the Lord, family. As we are expecting the return of the Lord. You know, if you really are expecting Jesus' return, it will really change in your attitude and your lifestyle. If anything in life, whatever we are serious about, whatever we are really looking to achieve or accomplishing the natural, if you find somebody that's really serious, they are dedicated, they are, commitment, they are committed, they are willing to make sacrifices, they are willing to pay the price. Hallelujah. They are willing to do what it requires for them to do that. And Paul, because he looked forward to the appearing of Jesus Christ, he caught himself to live in a life that was holy and pleasing unto the Lord. And this was all through the help of the Holy Spirit. Remember, I'm not speaking about self-righteousness. I'm not speaking about Paul had the ability in himself. Paul always gave glory to God. And Paul always uses terms like, or used terms many times in his writings, you know, everything that you see me do, it has been through the grace of God. Hallelujah. This is why Paul used the, re the return of Jesus Christ as the basis for his admonition in this particular chapter in 2 Timothy 4. And verse 1, when we look at 2 Timothy 4, verse 1, let's just look how Paul just, just um, encourages Timothy. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. So he's going to come and judge the living and the dead. And so Paul now, he is using this to encourage Timothy, you know, Timothy, look ahead. For all believers who really love Christ's appearing, we will look forward to him appearing and to him coming. We will be expecting for his divine presence and we will serve and live righteously in this life. Paul wrote to the Philippians church, he said, you know, we are only citizens. We are citizens of heaven. And we are only, one writer wrote, we are only pilgrims passing by. And that's why we are eagerly awaiting for the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When Paul spoke this way, it looked like Paul had pride. It looked like Paul was speaking out of self-confidence, but Paul gave glory to God in everything that he did. Paul lived his life for Jesus Christ. He lived his life as a living sacrifice. 
Hallelujah. Paul labored and labored for the glory of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I love how Paul lived his life for Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. He lived his life everything. Therefore, even Paul wrote, he writes here in the book of Colossians 1.29. And for this purpose, also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works with him. You see, Paul was talking about the power that worked with him. Paul was never glorifying himself. So when he was expecting the appearing of the Lord, he was not looking or self-dependent or independent. He was always dependent upon the Lord. And because he had this dependence upon the Lord, he had this expectation to meet the Lord. Hallelujah. So Paul was is an amazing character. And when we look at the book of Philippians, I am so stirred up, not Philippians, sorry, of 2 Timothy chapter 4. I am so stirred up. I am so encouraged by the life of Paul and how Paul was expecting, looking forward to God. Hallelujah. How he was dependent upon the grace of, our, of the Lord Jesus Christ and upon how he trusted God throughout his life. Whenever you read about Paul, how he trusted to the power that worked within him and how he prayed that we had this revelation of this power. And I pray today, church, that you have a revelation of this glorious power that is at work within you and that you will be confidently looking and expecting or expecting the appearing of the Lord. And you know, in Paul's letter to, in Paul's letter to Timothy, one of the antidotes that Paul gives for the love of money, the love of evil, the love of self, the love of pleasure, and the love of the world is that Paul says how to overcome these loves or of the world. Paul says we must love the appearing of Jesus Christ because our love for the appearing of Jesus Christ will change our attitude towards the things of this world. Therefore, Paul used terminology like in the book of Galatians, you know, I'm dead to the things of the world. Paul uses like in Galatians 2.20, you know, he gave himself for me. So Paul had no problem laying down his life because he knew he was going to take up a glorified body. Child of God, let's prepare ourselves for eternity. Jesus Christ is coming back soon. I pray that you are blessed through this message. Share with somebody, encourage somebody, and pray with somebody. I really spoke from the bottom of my heart. And I pray that God will bless you and keep you in these final hours, in these final years, in these final days. Hallelujah. As we're expecting the return of the Lord. God bless you in Jesus' mighty name. If you never said this prayer, I want you to say this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I come to you. I believe that you died and you rose again. I believe that you are the son of God and you gave your life for me. I thank you for this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen.